Well, as always, that was so encouraging. Maybe my favorite thing of our monthly church fellowship nights is to hear the young people sing songs that they've been working on. What more enjoyable thing could there be than to hear them jubilantly lifting up their voices to praise the Lord as something that we can all take to heart, <laughs> that youthful enthusiasm where you know, youthful enthusiasm doesn't get bogged down with the cares of life. But adults have a way of getting bogged down with the cares of life, don't they? And it's something that you see the way kids sing, and oftentimes you compare it to the way we feel or the way that we're singing, and there's a lesson to be learned there. There's a good reminder there. So I saw that again tonight, and very encouraging to see that. Thank you, kids, for putting so much hard work into that song. Well, before we get started with our devotion tonight, let's have a couple of announcements. One, the fair evangelistic outreach is starting tonight, so we'll pray about that in a second, but be praying about that yourselves. That'll be going on third through the seventh, and so there's there's even the opportunity to sign up for a variety of slots to go be a part of that still, if you want to, in the bookstore, which is right around the corner if you're new here. Uh, there's a sign-up list there for anybody who wants to be a part of that. But even if you can't physically be a part of that, be praying for that because that's a really awesome opportunity to engage with people in the community who potentially have never heard about who Jesus is or what he has done for them. So that's going to be starting again tonight and going through the, I think, midday or so on the 7th. So be praying about that. Other than that, is this cutting in and out a little bit? No? Okay. Uh, other than that, we have the, new, the next two camps coming up. They're right around the corner now here. We're talking about uh, 10 days or so before those are going to be right upon us. So be praying for that. Also be thinking about people in your life that you haven't maybe had a chance to talk to about that outreach or they're friends of your children's and you just hadn't thought even maybe to ask them, hey, what are you doing for a few days there in the middle of August, there's an opportunity to go be a part of a, a youth Bible camp, and it's something that's a lot of fun. It's something that you could be a part of. So young people that are here that are old enough to be going to camp, even be thinking, you know, are there people in my life that I haven't thought to invite to camp? We still have room for campers. Uh, we have approximately 75 young people signed up for the middle camp and somewhere around like 69 people signed up for the youngest kids camp so be praying about that and and be thinking maybe there's some people that you could invite to be a part of that so i think that's it by way of announcement i sent out an updated prayer list uh roberta johnson's already on that prayer list but she's having more medical problems and so just i don't know all of the details and 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 even don't know what uh what i should or shouldn't have shared anyway but just be, she is having more problems, so be mindful of that and be praying for her. Right now, Alice Mackey, I haven't gotten word yet if, if she's come out from surgery, but she went into a surgery for her hip here this afternoon at about 4 o'clock, and so I don't know how long those procedures take. I, I haven't heard yet from Lori as far as how that has shaken out, but we'll pray for her, her right now too. So let's, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. 
Thank you that you made a way for us to spend eternity with you despite our sinfulness as you sent a substitute, your only son, to take the place, to take our place, to die a death that you didn't deserve for sins you hadn't committed uh, because you loved us so much and that you wanted to substitute yourself as an innocent lamb in our place so that we wouldn't have to die and spend eternity apart from you. Thank you that our access to that way of salvation is simply through faith alone, by grace alone, and your finished work alone, that there's nothing we can do to improve upon what you said was perfect, what you said was complete, other than to accept by faith what you freely did for us, again, driven by your great love for us. Thank you that we have, if we have placed our faith in your finished work on our behalf, that we're called child, children of God, that we're born into your family and that you say you never will let us go and that we can have absolute assurance that one day we'll go to be with you when we die and not because of how faithful we've been but because of how faithful you are and not because of how much we've done for you but because of what you did for us and not because we're clinging to you so tightly but because you cling to us so tightly. Thank you that we can have that assurance of our salvation that's provided as a result of your faithful character. Thank you that we can celebrate then as a family of faith and come together with other brothers and sisters of like precious faith and enjoy even this time tonight of eating a meal together and having a devotion together, singing some songs together and spending time with one another. Thank you that you've given us this facility. Pray that we would be thankful for it, that we would take good care of it, that we would be good stewards of what you've entrusted us with, knowing that every good thing is ultimately from you anyway. Pray for some of those that have medical conditions. I wouldn't be able to come up with all of them, but some that are more pressing, Roberta uh, Johnson being one of them, pray for wisdom for her physicians and even comfort and encouragement in what she's going through, even potential opportunity for her to share the truth of who you are and what you've done for her as a result of being around people she normally wouldn't be around. Pray the same for Alice Mackey that you'd undertake for her surgery to be successful and and that she would give her comfort with the very painful healing process associated with uh, her hip injury. Pray that you would strengthen her and that you would comfort her even in this difficult time, be with her family as well as it's a difficult trial for them too. Pray for those that are going through any number of other trials and hard things that I'm unaware of. Pray that you would just keep their eyes on you, that they would be looking to you in spite of those trials and not get too focused on the circumstances that they're going through or the world around them or even themselves, but they would find their comfort by focusing and fixing their gaze on you. Pray that we would go through life with that mentality of absolute dependence on you to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that we would live each day looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name. All right, well, while I'm gathering my notes, you can feel free to turn to Acts chapter 26. That's where our devotion is going to be tonight. Well, the title of tonight's devotion or message is, You Almost Persuade Me. You Almost Persuade Me. And this is going to come from Acts chapter 26 verses 19 through 32. And this title is going to come directly from the text that we'll look at in Acts chapter 26 tonight, but it reminded me of a conversation that I had not that long ago, probably 
a year or so ago. I was doing a memorial service for a believer in this church's family member who had passed away. And it was known to me at the time, it was known to this believer here in our church that there might be a sort of lackluster response to the gospel message being presented at that memorial service because although the family member that had passed away was a believer, much of the other family had been negative or cold in general towards the gospel and towards things of faith. And so I, I knew that ahead of time as I was going to present that memorial message or that service for that individual. And I had prayed about and had every effort like I do with most memorial services to want to present the message of hope, the message of a future that could be found in Jesus Christ through faith alone in the finished work of his son. And so I sought to present the gospel message very clearly in that memorial service presentation. Well, at the reception afterwards, one of the family members approached me and sat down near me and shook my hand and said, I just want you to know that was a very interesting and a very good message that you presented. It really had my attention. And then he said these words, You almost had me convinced. You almost had me convinced. This is fine. All right, we'll try new batteries, and if that fails, we'll move to another mic. So where were we? You almost had me convinced, right? And you think about that statement. On one hand, it's very positive. What I mean by that is perhaps one day that man will believe in what Christ has done for them, for him. Perhaps one day that will be part of what God uses as a foundational, a foundational step in his conversion or his coming to faith in Christ. Maybe that'll be one of, the, one of the things that God uses. So on one hand, you don't dismay at something like that. It's, it's positive. But on the other hand, it's tragic. Because it's tragic to imagine coming so close to understanding and accepting by faith the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and yet, on the other hand, have decided to still reject that. Because was that man guaranteed another moment on this earth? Was he guaranteed a safe trip home after that memorial service? And Of course not. In fact, he may have passed away since we had that conversation. I wouldn't have any way to know that. And so to have breathed your last breath, having not accepted the free gift of salvation that was freely offered by the work of Jesus Christ on all of our behalf, that's tragic. To have that kind of a mindset where you would actually spend all of eternity separate from the one who loved you so much, knowing that you had been at a gospel presentation or a memorial service where the gospel was presented and that you were touched by the message so that you would say something like that. You almost had me convinced and yet you would spend all of eternity sort of kicking yourself in effect 
saying I could have avoided this, but I rejected the life that Jesus alone offers through his sacrifice on my behalf. Well, that experience isn't unique to me. Perhaps some of you have experienced something like that, where you shared the gospel, the good news with somebody, and they seemed to come close to accepting it, but they just never did. Well, the Apostle Paul experienced the same thing as a response to his presentation of the gospel too. And we're going to take a look at that here tonight in Acts chapter 26. Now, by way of background, most of you know that on these church fellowship nights, we've been just working our way, starting at the beginning of Acts, and we've been working our way through this transitional book, this historical book of early church history that covered the life of Peter and then transitioned into the life of Paul and has been tracking some of the progress and the growth and the early stages of the Christian community as recorded by Luke in the, in the book of Acts here. So we've gotten to the 26th chapter, and where we're at right now, just so you can kind of come up to speed for this devotion, is Paul ended up finishing one of his mission trips by going to Jerusalem, knowing and having been warned of the danger he faced in going there. Now, he had shortly, or he had barely gotten to town, and he was arrested without any legitimate charges being brought against him. He was examined by two different regional governors without any guilt being established. They were named Felix and, what was the other one's name? Some of you have said it. Festus, yeah. Uh, so kids, are you, are you remembering some of these conversations we've had? Felix and Festus. Now, a new guy came to town, King Agrippa, and he was a Jewish client king who had some influence but he ultimately was operating under the sway and control of the Roman government. Well, he had come to town and, and he had said, I want to basically hear this story or Festus had even communicated with him this idea of what, had, what was going on with Paul and he said, I want to hear about this in greater detail. And so Paul had this opportunity to address King Agrippa. And that's where we're at in chapter 26 here. And as he's addressing or making his case... To King Agrippa, he's effectively sharing his faith story we talked about. So he's sharing his story of faith with King Agrippa and with everyone else who's there. And so it was a wonderful opportunity for God to bring good from something that really wasn't that good. He was falsely accused, falsely being held, falsely in chains, and had been so, he had been in that state for nearly two years illegitimately. You know, and some of us, when we're wronged, even for a moment, <laughs> we'll dwell on that and never let it go. But the Lord oftentimes, because he's a Romans 8.28 God, he says, I'm going to allow, in a sin-cursed world, though I'm sovereign, I'm going to allow men's free choice to play itself out. And a part of that is that you're going to be influenced by those things at times. And some of those things are going to be sheer evil, or they're going to be ungodly things that have an impact on you, but I'm going to allow those things to take place, but even though I allow those things in my sovereignty to take place, I'm going to promise you something that can bring you joy even in the face of being wronged or facing trials or tribulations or hardships. I'm going to promise you something that can carry you through that, which is that all things will, kids, what does Romans 8.28 say? That all things will work together for good. Okay, thanks for having your hands up, but just shout it out. They'll work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called 
according to his purpose. That's right. Good job for some of you who have taken the time to memorize that verse. And so that's what God's promise is. And is God a promise-keeping God, kids? Does he keep his promises? Just some of the time? How, how often does God keep his promises? All of the time, right? Because God is good how much of the time? All of the time, God is good. And so being a good God, he always keeps his promises. Being a faithful God, he's actually not even capable of breaking his promises. But Paul finds himself sharing his faith story under less than ideal circumstances. It wasn't like me, where granted a memorial service is less than ideal circumstances in some way, but for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so for that believer who had passed away, was it a time of sorrow to have a memorial service? Were they sorrowing in heaven? No. Were they wishing they could be back on earth being a part of that memorial service? No, they were glad to be with their Savior. So on one hand, even that was, was a good circumstance because God had taken that loss and he was using it in a good way because that person now was with him. And we could celebrate that because they were a person of faith instead of having a sorrow like those who have no hope, right? And so that was the circumstance that I was able to share the gospel. Paul's circumstance is much worse. He's wrongfully accused and in chains and now he's getting to share the good news of Jesus with King Agrippa. So that's a little bit of the background. Now, in verse 18, he starts to talk about what his mission was that God had given him. So let's read verse 18 together. This is by review. We covered this last time. But what was his mission? To open their eyes. So God sent him to the Jewish people and then to the Gentile people. In verse 17, he was sent by God on a mission. A mission from God we talked about. Now, verse 18, what was the mission? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to, you can read it in there, the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. How are you positionally sanctified? You're positionally sanctified by faith in me. It's faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. That is the gospel message, kids, and that was the mission that Paul was given. So then we move to verse 19 to pick up our section for tonight. Now, in verse 19, we see that Paul was faithful to fulfill his mission. Verse 18 told us he was given a mission, and the mission was to lift up Jesus Christ and to point people to the good news of who Jesus was so that they could be saved from the hell they deserved to a heaven they didn't, that they could be brought out from the darkness and into the glorious light that is only found in the gospel message. So did Paul fulfill his mission? Well, let's read what Paul says about that in verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but what did he do? He declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, primarily referring to Jewish people there, and then to the Gentiles, what did he declare? That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be, oh, sorry, they tried to kill me, verse 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to great and small, saying no other things, then those which the prophets and Moses said would come. And what did they say would come? That the Christ would suffer, 
that he would be the first to rise from the dead. He was the first fruits of them that sleep and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So did Paul fulfill his mission? Was he faithful to his mission? Yes, he was. Verse 20, he says, I declared, and what did he declare? That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Now, that is a loaded series of things that are stated there. That word repent in the Greek language is the word metanoia. The word metanoia in the Greek language means to change your mind. And so in order to put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, you have to change your mind about what you had previously been trusting in and to put your faith and trust exclusively in what Jesus has offered, what Jesus has done for you. So to repent doesn't mean to feel sorry about your sin, although that is a natural reaction sometimes to thinking about the years that were spent in vanity and pride, caring not that my Lord was crucified, knowing not that it was for me he died on Calvary. So as you reflect on those years that were wasted, focused on self, putting your trust in your own human efforts, your own, your own human attempts at righteousness, your own religious works to save you, instead of putting your faith in what Christ had done for you, can that bring about sorrow, godly sorrow? Yeah, does godly sorrow lead to repentance at times? Yes. Repentance meaning, though, again, to change your mind. It's not about turning from sins. It's about turning to God in faith and dependence where you're putting your faith on Jesus Christ and his finished work on your behalf instead of something else that you had been trusting in. And if you're not sure about that, look at what the series of statements are that you should repent. You have to have a change of mind. What, does that, what do you change your mind about? Well, you need to turn to God. What does that mean? That means you're turning from something else that you had been trusting in previously. And what is the desired outcome of all of that? That after turning to God in faith that your life wouldn't be wasted your life would be used in a way that would lift him up. And that's what's meant by this phrase, doing works befitting of repentance. Does God have a plan for your life after you put your trust in him? Yes. Does God want to use you to shine his light? Yes. Does God want you to allow his spirit to work in and through you so that your life is a reflection of his character? Yes. And is his character ever associated with sinfulness? No. No. Is God's character ever associated with wasting time on things that are passing away? No. God's character is focused on eternal things and redeeming the time. And so that's why, how many of you know what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says? A couple of hands. Say it with me then. For by grace, save through it is not of your, it is a, it's not. Okay, now if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians 2, and we're going to read verse 10 together. Because God wants you to come to a point of salvation, or a point of faith in him, just as you are. But he doesn't want to leave you that way. He doesn't want you to spend your life living just like you had been living when you were lost. He says, I have something better for you. I have a new way of living. So who's there? Are you kids there yet? Okay, raise your hand if you're at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. This is kids. How many of you are there? You ready to go? Who's ready to read? 
Okay, let's read together then. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does it say we will walk in them? No, but should we? Does God have a desire that our lives would be a reflection of him? Yes. Okay, that's what Paul is getting at. And that's the message that he proclaimed. He didn't just proclaim, turn in faith to Jesus Christ and then, and then not say anything about what God's plan was for believers' lives. He taught them how could you be saved from the penalty of sin. But then he also taught those believers, those new believers, how can you experientially, as you live the Christian life, how can you have victory over the power or the influence of sin on your day-to-day lives? How can God, through the power of his Spirit working inside of you, give you the victory in a practical, not positional, but in a practical day-by-day basis? How can he provide the victory? So that's the message that Paul presented. Now, when Paul said he was faithful to fulfill his ministry, who was the power source for him doing that? God, where can we find that? It's in verse 22. Look, read, read what's in front of you. Acts 26, 22. What does it say? What does the first line say? Therefore, having obtained, that's a hard word, help from God. Where did Paul get his help? My help comes from you, right? Without me, you can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So Paul is quick to give God the credit and the glory for working in his life to make his mission successful. And it's just a passing thing that you could have read right through and not even noticed it. But therefore, having obtained help from God, then he goes on to say how he was an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Now, he also says the message of the Redeemer and redemption, it isn't a new message. It's not a new message. Was that message found only in the New Testament or was that message found in the Old Testament too? Both. Good, good answer. And Paul's going to prove that out. He says that in verse 22. What does he say? He says, he witnessed, or he says, saying. So these, this is what he said to people when he was witnessing to them. He said, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. And where are the prophets and Moses' writings? The New Testament or Old Testament? Old Testament. So does the Old Testament speak to a plan of redemption? It must. Paul says, that's what I use to witness to people. Does the Old Testament reference there would be a coming redeemer? It must because Paul says that's what he used to proclaim Jesus Does it mention or give indication that the Messiah would suffer? It must because Paul says those are the texts that I used as I was witnessing to people who needed Jesus Christ. Now, are those the texts that we rely on most often when we share the gospel? No. Why not? What do we have in front of us that Paul didn't have in front of him? Did Paul have a completed Bible in front of him? Yeah, we have a completed Bible in front of us. And the completed New Testament has many, many verses that speak about 
exactly who Jesus was, his person being the incarnate son of God, his work being the sacrifice for mankind. They speak very, very clearly to what man's response to the gospel must be, faith alone in Christ alone, apart from works. And so there's a lot more revelation that God has given where he's made his plan more and more evident and he's given more and more details about that plan as time went on. But could you present the gospel with just the Old Testament? The answer is, according to the Apostle Paul, yes, you could. And so that's just sort of a passing note, but it's an interesting note to think about. Now, do you have a ministry? Kids, do you have a ministry from God? Yes, you do. And your ministry is to be a light for him, right? Sorry if you were raising your hand to say that. I bet you knew that. You knew that your, your ministry is to be a... You know what the ministry is? What's the ministry? You know? What's your ministry from God? To be a bright light for, for Jesus, for him. And I'll tell you what, I can never remind you that enough, of that enough. Adults, what's your ministry? To be a bright light for Jesus. You can't hear that too many times. We're not here to fit in. Our, our objective on this planet isn't to be well-liked. That's fine if that were to happen. For most of you, it won't. Teasing, teasing, teasing. Okay, that went over a lot of, a lot of heads. Uh, it's not to be well-liked. Young people, when you go to school, your primary mission isn't to fit in. Young people, if you're doing homeschool, when you go to an activity, to a friend's house, to a relative's house, your primary focus isn't that they would like you. It's good if they do. But your primary focus is, is how can you shine Jesus into their lives by allowing him to work in and through you to show himself and reflect himself to them, himself to them through your life. So it, you're never going to hurt my feelings if you come and remind me, hey, pastor, you're not here to fit in. You're here to be a light for Jesus. You remind me and I'll try to remind you, okay, kids? But that's something that we all need to be reminded of and you have a mission just like the Apostle Paul has a mission and the question is this, will you fulfill that mission? And if you're interested in fulfilling that mission, will you do that in your own strength? I'll tell you what, if you try to fulfill your mission in your strength, you're going to fail. But with God working through you, Success is guaranteed. You can't fail because he never fails. If you're working with his power going through you, the mission cannot fail. God cannot fail. So just remember that when you're facing some tough times and you've got people in front of you that are sort of scaring you a little bit, showing the gospel seems a little bit daunting. With him on your side, if you're trying to fulfill your mission, you cannot fail. And the, the main thing as you're thinking about all that is that God has the same desire that you have. And so that's why Paul, when he was talking to, that you should have. And that's why Paul told Timothy when he was on his deathbed, Paul was shortly, he was going to be executed. He knew he didn't have much time left. And he said, be watchful in all things. He said, endure afflictions. He said, do the work of an evangelist. But he also told Timothy, fulfill your mission. Fulfill your mission. And so we go on here to verses 24 through 26. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So what was Agrippa's response to the gospel? Kids, I know that I'm losing you here a little bit. Try to refocus. What was Agrippa's response to being told about 
Paul's mission and what the gospel message is. Verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. (laughs) What a funny response. You know what? Some of you, that's a little bit too hard a language. Festus, or sorry, yeah, Festus said to Paul, not King Agrippa, Festus said to Paul, you're crazy. You've lost your mind, Paul. That's what some people will say to you as you proclaim the gospel. They'd say, this is goofy. There's no way it could be that simple. Or how could you trust the Bible? That's for simple people to trust the Bible. The world has all the answers. Listen to us. We have all the answers. The Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. That's what the world says to the truth of the gospel. You're crazy, and the Bible doesn't have the answers. So be prepared for that. That's the response from Festus. But here's Paul's response. But he, Paul, said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. You think you'd be that bold to say that back to him? For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner, meaning it wasn't done in a hidden way. Jesus was very public and many people heard about Jesus. So Paul is basically saying, Festus, the governor, even though you think this is crazy, I don't think the king Agrippa thinks this is crazy because he hasn't been sheltered. He knows about Jesus. He's heard about how the world is getting turned on end as people are witnessing about who Jesus is. Verse 27 then. Now that verse 27 will go to our next part. But verse 26. The message of the cross is foolishness. That's basically what Festus was saying. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So f- The message of the cross, the message about who Jesus is and what he's done, people are going to say that's foolish, but what they're saying is foolish is the very thing that could save them and could give them life instead of the death that they're currently associated with in rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is always, do you believe? The gospel is presented over and over. The message of hope is presented over and over in the New Testament. The question that is always asked following the presentation of the gospel is, do you believe this? Will you put your trust in this? Will you accept this? The question that's asked isn't, will you change your life? Will you join a church? Will you cast sin from your life? Will you repent and turn away from sin? Will you swear to be good from now on? That's not the message. That's not the response that's called for to the gospel message in the New Testament. The response is, do you believe this or do you not believe this? And here is one of many examples of that. So if we pick this up in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? That's what Paul asks. I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, this is the sad thing, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, 
except for these chains. He says, I don't want you all to be in prison, but I want you all to believe in Jesus the way I have believed in Jesus. But you notice how Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And that's in response to Paul saying, do you believe? Have you accepted this as true? Are you convinced to put your trust in this message? You see, Paul, like God himself, desires that all men be saved. And do you have that heart? Kids, do you desire that everybody you know would get saved? But that's what Paul's desire. That's Christ's desire. God's desire, Timothy, um, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.4 is, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's where our lesson came from. You could read the last three verses here about how they kind of confer with each other then. The Festus, the governor, and Agrippa, the king, they kind of confer with each other after Paul gets done speaking. And you know what they determine? That Paul is completely innocent. You know what else they determine? That Paul never should have been in prison. You know what else they determine? That Paul should have been freed. But you know what? God has other plans. And they don't free Paul. And the reason they didn't free Paul is because Paul had already appealed to Caesar. He had already exercised his right as a Roman citizen to have his case heard by Caesar. So Paul had been a little bit hasty and premature in his defense, his courtroom defense, and we'll talk about that next time. But because of that, he had already kind of spoiled his administrative process. He had already spoiled his appeals process by acting too soon on that. And so after two years in prison, Paul's now going to be shipped off to Rome to go give his defense to Agrippa, but a lot of things are going to happen to him along the way, so that'll be a little bit of a teaser for next time. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend in your word. Thank you for this message of hope, this message that Paul proclaimed as he was faithful to fulfill his ministry, to proclaim this message of who Jesus is and what he's done. Thank you that the response to the gospel is simple. It's so simple that children can understand it. They either believe in what Jesus has done and put their confidence in that, or they reject it. They say, I don't need Jesus, or what Jesus did wasn't good enough. Jesus needs me to do more. Jesus needs me to bring the thing across the finish line, which that's a rejection of Christ's work because you can't have it both ways. It's either all grace or it's all works. You can't mix works with grace and have it still be grace. Thank you that you've made the gospel that clear. Thank you that Paul was willing to give his life to fulfill his ministry to preach Jesus. Thank you that King Agrippa and all those that were there could hear that message of hope. Pray that if there's people in our lives that have been almost convinced to put their faith in Jesus Christ, that you would help them get off of the fence, that you would help them make a decision to put their trust in Christ alone. Pray that you would use us in their lives to continue to preach Jesus in a way that would help them to come to faith in Christ alone. Thank you for your son and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. That one.